Bladder leakage is one of many health-related issues that our female patients deal with. There are newly available treatment options, including non-surgical options to help remedy the problem. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Critchman, host of Sexual Medicine and Health on ReachMD, and joining me today is Dr. Holly Thacker, nationally known for her leadership in women's health. She is also the founder of the Cleveland Clinic Women's Health Fellowship and is currently the professor and director of the Center for Specialized Women's Health at the Cleveland Clinic and Lerner College of Medicine at Case Western Reserve University. She is also the author of two books, Women's Health, Your Body, Your Hormones, Your Choices, and Cleveland Clinic Guide to Menopause. Welcome, Holly. Thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, my pleasure to be here. You know, Holly, we often uh, talked about issues related to urinary incontinence, and, you know, it seems that the incidence and prevalence is huge. I mean, one in three women have involuntary leakage of urine. Um, Any other information about the impact and statistics? I think it's really rampant and uh, really a huge medical concern. It is, and it affects both genders, but it affects women more often. And the reason why that is, of course, is because uh, women have a vagina, which is a hole in the pelvic floor, and many women have pregnancies and deliveries, which is additional strain on the pelvic floor. And the sad thing is, is that, and I'm sure you've seen this in your office, women will not come and tell you that they're having a leaky bladder. Um, they just think it's normal, part of aging, or they're embarrassed by it. And then there's all these ads on television that have sexy underwear and different types of liners and pads and adult diapers to try to normalize it. And it's not a normal condition, and it can be treated. Right. And it certainly has a lot of far-reaching implications. It's not, you know, it impacts quality of life. Women stop going out. They stop being social. They may even stop having, you know, intimate relations with their partners as well. Absolutely. You know, there are a variety of different types. What are the most common ones that you see in your practice? Well, there's the stress urinary incontinence, which is a leaky bladder when someone jumps or laughs or sneezes or moves. The urge incontinence is the key in the doorknob. I got to go, I got to go. I either hear or see a bathroom or hear running water. And then the third type is the unfortunate uh, mixed, which is both stress and urge. Now, are there any new medical or surgical developments that you know of that are really um, helping women who are suffering from these conditions? evaluation and treatment of urinary incontinence should first be medical. So I think a lot of physicians and healthcare providers are kind of used to when someone does have that complaint to immediately send them to a urologist or a urogynecology surgeon. And it really kind of emphasized the basic evaluation and the medical treatments. Now there's been three actual over-the-counter options for incontinence um, be available in just the last couple of years because uh, the FDA, I think, realizes that this is such a common problem. The um, Oxytrol patch, um, which came on the market as an over-the-counter patch, which is available for four days to treat urge incontinence. Uh, last year, there was a disposable pessary called Poise Impressa, uh, which is kind of like a tampon, but it's not absorbent, and that's inserted into the vagina. There's three different sizes, and women can, like, size themselves to figure out which one is the best, and it kind of lifts up the bladder neck for stress incontinence. And then earlier this year, the um, automatic pelvic exercising device called Apex 
which previously was by prescription only, became over-the-counter. And that actually also treats stress incontinence by strengthening up the pelvic muscles. So it's nice that there's some over-the-counter options that you know physicians and healthcare providers need to be aware of and to know what all the medical options are as well as what the surgical options are as well. Right. That's great that there's a lot of options. But what about the education? Do they get that education with those products? And how can clinicians help patients help themselves? You know, I think that's an important issue because many women are embarrassed, as you said, and they're not um, talking to their clinicians. So I think as a clinician, we need to open up the dialogue. And, you know, it's really fun and exciting that there are a lot of new therapeutics available for our patients. What about hysterectomies? I know that we've been doing a lot of surgical interventions, maybe becoming less and less aggressive. And what's your thought about prolapse and hysterectomies and how they contribute to this uh, problem with urinary leakage? Well, I believe the statistics are close to one in eight women end up having a hysterectomy because of prolapse. Um, Certainly there seems to be a very strong genetic component. Fair-skinned, light-eyed women seem to be more at risk having multiple babies, large babies, um, weight gain, constipation, weak muscles. Um, seem to potentially contribute as well. Now, some women who have prolapse just have the organs come down but still have adequately controlled bowels and bladder. And sometimes by lifting up the organs or treating the prolapse and straightening out the kink in the urethra, actually, then they do get uh, stress incontinence, actually. So um, if there's overt, you know, prolapse, pretty much your only options at that point are a pessary or definitive surgical therapy, that's for sure. But for women who've had prolapse, um, that is a signal to me as a physician that maybe their muscles and their collagen just aren't as in good a shape as they could or should be. And even if they do have some sort of definitive therapy, whether it's a pessary that's working for them or surgical repair, I still want to talk to them about strengthening their pelvic floor. And when I do my exam to normalize things, I routinely ask all women, regardless of age or obstetrical history, you know, do they leak urine with activity, with sexual function? You know, I just include it as part of my whole panoply of questions. And when I do a pelvic exam, I instruct women of all ages how to do a Kegel contraction. And it's amazing to me how there's some women who can't even identify those muscles or don't know how to contract them. And those, of course, are the muscles that involuntarily contract with climax. And so having a strong pelvic floor not only is good for holding your organs up, controlling bladder and bowel function, but also, you know, it certainly improves sexual function. It is certainly impactful on the woman, and I think that creating a comfortable environment where she can talk about these sensitive issues is really important as well. Well, if you're just tuning in right now, you're listening to Sexual Medicine and Health on ReachMD. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Critchman, and I'm with Dr. Holly Thacker. She is the founder of the Cleveland Clinic Women's Health Fellowship and professor and director of the Center of Specialized Women's Health at the Cleveland Clinic and Lerner College of Medicine at Case Western Reserve University. And we're talking today about urinary issues and urinary incontinence as well and how it's impactful. But there is some promising uh, both medical and surgical interventions that's really impacting women. What about the differential, Holly? Like, I know that many women come in with leaking, and they may have other concurrent problems that are going on as well. What are your thoughts? 
Well, um, the basic exam, of course, should include a pelvic exam, you know, to feel for masses, check the muscle tone, and also look at the health of the vaginal tissue because mm -hmm. as women get older and they lose their natural supply of estradiol through the ovarian follicles, a lot of times there's a big hit uh, that occurs to the lower part of the vagina, the urethra, and the base of the bladder. So not only um, can there be changes in the vagina, but also potentially changes in the bladder function, higher risk of bladder infections, more overactive um, bladder symptoms. Certainly a, a standard urinary dip to make sure there's not infection or blood should be done. And um, if there is overactive bladder or concerns about complete emptying of the bladder, you know, a post-void residual, preferably by uh, an ultrasound of the bladder, you know, done after voiding as opposed to a straight cath um, should be considered. And so that's really pretty much the basics. Um, and many times sophisticated urodynamics are not needed. Now, if the history is not very good or it's very complicated, you know, or there's neurologic symptoms or prior surgeries, then certainly urodynamics may be helpful. But most clinicians with a simple history and physical exam um, and a couple of simple tests like a UA can really um, get an assessment and start um, treatment. And I've been very impressed in my practice that just treating constipation and uh, encouraging a woman to lose five or 10 pounds of weight can make a huge difference in um, uh, some types of incontinence, particularly stress incontinence, because when someone has a lot of pressure in their abdomen because of constipation or a lot of extra weight gain, that obviously pushes down on the bladder and the, and the pelvic structures. What about some behavioral issues? And I know in my clinical practice, I see a lot of women who are really avoiding sexual activity because they're concerned that they may leak urine during sexual intimacy. And sometimes we, we, we ask them to do some behavioral techniques and what have you. Do you have any kind of uh, clinical pearls that you'd like to share? Yes. Um, well, uh, I give my patients a lot of information, diagrams, you know, pictures, instructions on how to do Kegel exercises. Uh, the website that um, I run, the nonprofit, speakingofwomenshealth.com, has a list of bladder um, irritants that are common for, for bladder irritation, information about bladder behavioral training, because sometimes simply adjusting the fluid intake and just retraining the bladder, just like you have to train a two-year-old how to be potty trained. Sometimes in adults, um, they have to have their bladder retrained as well. And so I try to provide them with a lot of basic, simple information, because for a lot of people, doing that, teaching them how to do Kegels, um, having them identify irritants in their um, their diet or their liquids, which caffeine, of course, is a big one, and then treating any you know hormonal or estrogen deficiency locally can make a huge difference for many women. Right. And I'm glad you mentioned the issues related to coffee and with local uh, estrogen. I think that we've sometimes jumped to surgical intervention when some really simple suggestions like avoiding caffeine and, you know, safe medications like minimally absorbed local products, local estrogen can really help and have huge impact. Um, just a few quick words on fecal incontinence. I know that that is really now coming to the forefront and we are now asking more questions and really hearing some really distressing stories from women whose lives have been severely impacted by this uh, really uncommon yet uh, distressing condition. Any thoughts about that? 
Yes, um, it's actually more common than you would think. I mean, since uh, I'm now treating women with pelvic stimulating devices, one of which uh, just less than a year ago was FDA approved to treat fecal incontinence called the Intone MV mini version, small version. Um, I'm just amazed at how many women, uh, and there's certainly men as well, too, who have this condition. In women, um, precipitous childbirth uh, can obviously uh, rip the muscles. Um, anything that's associated with decreased muscle tone, um, bowel conditions, obviously, that uh, might cause um, diarrhea or looser stools make it a lot harder for that uh, sphincter to maintain competence. Uh, and so I think that, again, this is something that one needs to actually ask patients, you know, um, just as part of part of uh, the review of systems. And because my experience, again, is like bladder leakage. People are either so mortified by it, um, they just will not bring it up like they may bring up other, other concerns that they have. And certainly doing a full bowel evaluation to make sure there's not underlying bowel disease, checking muscle tone, um, some surgical intervention sometimes is needed if there needs to be a sphincter repair, of course. I know there's some new treatments to inject bulking agents um, into the perianal area and even surgical uh, techniques that actually insert magnets in the, the rectum, which um, it seems like if you could treat that by just improving the muscle and not doing something invasive, that obviously would be first-line treatment. Well, Holly, thank you so much for helping us kind of break the silence and really get these really important issues and topics out into the forefront. I'm Dr. Michael Critchman, and you've been listening to Sexual Medicine and Health on ReachMD. Be sure to visit our website at reachmd.com slash sexualmedicine to download this segment and others in this series. Thank you again for listening, and thank you, Holly, so much for joining us today. My pleasure.